Tonight is going to start, uh, this is a three-part of uh, meetings for this weekend, and it's focusing on thirsting for intimacy, on emotional healing for relationship this whole weekend. So as it's going to be building one upon the other. So tonight's presentation is entitled Facing the Pain, because I felt that in order to experience true healing of the heart and to experience true intimacy, we must first face the pain in our lives. And so tonight is Facing the Pain, and I invite you to turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, and 22 is the opening text. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 and 22. Facing the pain. Pain. Who wants it? Now, most of us have heard of the phrase growing pains, have we not? Right? And what that means is that whenever there is growth, it means that there is always pain. Now, most of us want to grow, whether it's in our profession, our health, our relationships, or our spirituality. But pain, that is so unattractive. Now the truth is that we're not going to grow in any areas of our lives unless we experience some type of suffering. For a baby who is growing new teeth has pain, right? An athlete training for a marathon, right, has pain. Someone moving out of the comfort zone has pain. We cannot save our money, lose our weight, improve our relationships without denying ourselves and thus experience some level of pain. And thus, in the same way, in order to grow spiritually and to grow um, emotionally in our lives, we need to experience sorrow. And oftentimes, in order to grow, we need to embrace our past wounds and what we've gone through so that we can then heal. It was after I spoke at a, a youth conference, and I finished on healing from our past wounds and a lady come, came up to me and said, now I understand what you're talking about and what I've been experiencing in my, in my own life with my own mom. She said to me, while you were speaking, it really hit me that actually my mom is exactly what you're talking about. And she said that my mom has a bad relationship with all my brothers and sisters. All of her children cannot get along with her at all. And then she finally realized that how she's living her life currently is based upon what happened to her in her past. And then she began to relate to me her story of her mom. And she told me the story of her mom when her mom was just a little girl. She said she was in the passenger seat of her mother, which is her grandmother, but her mom was in the passenger seat of her mother, and then a car, and they were driving. And her mom was driving, she was the only passenger and all of a sudden, they got into a car accident, and the car rolled over, and the next thing she knew, there she was, waking up and seeing next to her, her mom, who was dead. Can you imagine that tragedy? And she saw that, and that experience, and it, it, it hurt her. And she said that that didn't stop there. She said, as she got married, fell in love, got married, had children. She was born and she had brothers and she had another sister. And just said that one day, her sister was in a backyard on this farm with her brothers and they're shooting their guns. Somehow there was a gun accident. Something had gone wrong. And because of that, her sister was accidentally shot and she was killed. And they said, then I realized, wait a minute, my mom, no one wants to hang around with her. No one wants to spend time with her. My mom is so bitter at life and at her children and everything and at God for everything that had happened. And then she realized, and she said to me, that she realized that the sad thing about her mom was that her mom was 90 years old. Could it be possible that we may be 90 years old and yet living as if our mind was still caught in the past as if we were just seven years old, a seven-year-old girl still on a passenger seat of a car next to her dead mother. 29-year-old mother, maybe, coming home and seeing the tragedy of your own daughter being shot accidentally by your own sons. Could it be possible that, you know, as a child, and we thought like a child, we acted like a child, and but 
it's almost as if the Bible says true love means that, but when I became a man or when I became mature, that I put away child things. Could it be possible that maybe we have not put away our childhood things. Maybe we are not healed. And maybe we don't even think about it because we want to bury it way in our past because it's too painful to think about. Do you think that could be possible? I felt like as a pastor I was missing something. Like Ellen White says, the reason from cause to effect. And so here am I trying to build up the churches and make the churches exciting and have fun things to do and exciting things to do and programs and evangelism and events and call porter and Bible work and everything and preaching and this you know, medical missionary work and do everything in all these events and programs to build up the church. And I finally realized, wait a minute, I'm missing something. I'm dealing with the effects. I'm dealing with the symptoms. We must go back and deal with the root causes. And as we deal with the root causes, we're going to realize that there's something in all of our lives because we live in a world of sin, do we not? Because we live in a world of sin, all of us have been, not only have we hurt other people by sinning against them, but we ourselves have also been hurt and wounded by people what they have sinned against us. So tonight we begin our series on facing the pain and may God open our eyes as we open His Word. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand Your Word. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Matthew 16, verse 21 and 22. What happened when Jesus told His disciples that He was going to Jerusalem to face pain and death? Matthew 16, verse 21 and 22. Notice the Bible says, the Bible says, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and, what does the Bible say? Suffer or experience pain. Many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So Jesus wanted to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he had his mind set to go to Jerusalem because his calling at that specific time was to go and face his pain, to face his suffering. He must embrace the pain. So that was his calling. He was headed toward that direction. But I want you to notice what happened here. Verse 22, Peter said, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this will not happen to you. So here you have Jesus, he wants to embrace his pain, he wants to face the pain because he knew he needed to suffer and face it. But Peter stood up and said, No, I don't want you, Jesus. Do not go to Jerusalem because I don't want you to embrace or to face your pain. Now, how did Jesus respond to Peter's reaction? Look at verse 23. The Bible says, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, what does it say? Satan. You are an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of what? God, but the things, instead the things of what? Man. In other words, you're not mindful, you're not thinking about the things of God, but instead you're thinking about the things of God. Man, and that's how it is in life. You see, in order to truly heal, we need to face our pain. And as Jesus is our example, we need to go forward and face our pain. And Satan's going to come with the temptation. And he's going to say to you, look, it's just too hard to face the pain. It's too much to embrace the suffering. Forget about your past. Don't think about it. Let it go. But in order to truly move forward in our spiritual walk, our emotional well-being, our relationships, we must face our pain. You believe that? Let me hear you say amen. Amen? And I realize this. We are living in a generation, in a society that is emotionally disconnected from one another. We live in a generation where people are hungering for intimacy like we've never seen before. We're living in a world today where relationships are shallow, they're not deep, they're weak, my wife has some friends from high school who they're not Christian and they get together every so often. And they started that recently. And it was interesting, there are all these women and they're all around in a circle and they're all talking about, I guess, their marriages and relationships that they had. And it's interesting that they all say the same thing. We don't have any intimate conversations with our husbands or our boyfriends at all. It's like very empty and shallow. No meaningful conversations 
they're saying. And the sad thing is that, yes, they can talk about the news or they can talk about politics or church things or church problems or church doctrines, right? But they cannot relate on an intimate level. Do you think God wants to be intimate with us? You believe that I mean you say amen. Amen? Do you think God wants to go more deeper than just the intellectual sense of certain teachings and doctrines? Do you think so? Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't the Ten Commandments really about relationships? Isn't that true? Isn't the first four, what is that? Isn't our relationship with who? God. And the last six, isn't our relationship with who? With each other, right? So isn't the Ten Commandments about relationships? What do you say, amen? When they asked Jesus, what was the most important thing, right? And Jesus said, well, the most important commandment was to love what? God, relationship with God, right? The first four, and love what? Each other, right? That's yourself. Wasn't Jesus always talking about relationship, right? What do you say, amen? And isn't the last message given before the first coming of Christ, which is parallel of the message to be given in the, in the second coming of Christ, in the Malachi, the last couple of verses, right? Of Malachi, right before Jesus came in the New Testament. Isn't that the last message, the Elijah message, right? We know in Malachi. And what was this message supposed to do? It was supposed to turn the hearts of the what? The fathers to the what? To the children. In other words, it's a restoration. It's a healing of relationships before Jesus comes again. That is the Elijah message. What do you say? Amen? And not only to turn up the hearts of the fathers to the children, but it's a turning of the hearts of the children to the fathers. What do you say? Amen? A restoration of the home. A healing of the families. And I learned we can fake it so much. And I've seen that in my own life because... You know, that's my experience. But I've seen it in among my church members. They can be so, so excited about preaching the truth. And I thought about the preaching of the truth, and yet their own homes are a mess. Their own marriages are falling apart. Interesting, I was at GYC this past year, and after my seminar, a lady came up to me, a young lady, early 20s, She's a leader of leaders in the ministry work programs, well-known programs. Leader of leaders, and she shared to me that she has not experienced healing in her life. And so instead, in her own life, she said that she actually suffers from depression and is taking depression medication for her depression as a ministry of leaders over leaders of our young people. I mean, she's the leader, and she's addicted, she says. And she says that she even has leaders under her who are also hurting, and yet she couldn't even help them. She said this, and I'm just telling what she said. She said, I'm tired of people just sympathizing with me. She said, I want answers. Don't we all want answers? What do you say? Amen? And the Bible has answers. What do you say? Amen? She said, I'm tired of people just sympathizing. You know, it's good to empathize. It's good to sympathize. But beloved, there needs to be answers and solutions to our situations and our problems. You believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? There needs to be solutions. The solution is found in God's Word, and I believe in our spirit of prophecy. What do you say, huh? Amen? We must face our pain. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 42 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. What did Jesus want to do in the Garden of Gethsemane? Luke 22, verse 42. Notice the Bible says, Jesus is saying this, he says, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup of sin, right? Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours, thy will be done. So when Jesus was faced taking this cup of suffering, of sin, for facing this cup of suffering, or facing this suffering, or facing this pain, when it was time for him to face this pain, he was tempted not to drink this cup of suffering. He was tempted not to drink this pain. In fact, he was tempted so much that he, was, he had the cup of suffering in his hand, of sins of the world in his, in his hand to drink it symbolically. And his, he was about to drink it, he said, he struggled and said, Lord, I don't want to drink it. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. 
The temptation came again, and like, I don't want to drink it, Lord. Take this cup from me, right? But nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And then it was again, Lord, take this cup. In other words, he didn't want to face the pain, the suffering of what he had to go through. And because of this, he struggled with facing the pain. You see, in the same way, we may not want to do what we know we should do, but it's because we're afraid of the suffering, but we must follow Christ's leading and how he agonized. You see, in our lives, whenever there is denial, there is no healing. For the only way we can experience healing of us, the pain that we have experienced is that we must follow the life of Jesus Christ. In other words, in order to feel better, we must first feel worse. We often minimize our pain. We say, ah, it wasn't a big deal, and so we don't deal with it. Or oh, I just have to forget about it and move on with my life. Or oh, we all suffer in life, so it doesn't really matter. Or oh, we may say, what's past is past, so there's no point in dwelling upon it. I had a church member who had experienced healing. She was a PK, a pastor's kid. And she had gone through a lot of hurt and pain in her family. You know, it's sad to say, but the people that are hurting most in our churches are our PKs, our pastor kids. And she was sharing me her story about how she was experiencing healing in her life. And she was so excited, she actually got on the phone and she called her sister. And she actually has a sister who is actually her twin sister. So they look almost exactly alike. She said, I called my sister up and I told her, wow, you know what, I'm experiencing this healing in my life of things that I suppressed and I put down and I didn't want to face before and I ignored my whole life and I'm finally dealing with it and facing it head on. And she told that to her sister. And then she told me, they said, Pastor, do you know what my sister said to me? And I said, what did she say to you? She said, I don't want to experience what you're experiencing because if I had to experience the emotional healing you're talking about, then that means that I'm going to have to face my pain, and I don't want to face my pain, she said. And with that, she moved on with her life, never experiencing the healing that God had wanted her to experience. How is it with you today? Do you also ignore your past wounds so you don't have to embrace your pain? Turn to Mark chapter 15, verse 23 in your Bibles. Mark 15, verse 23. What did they offer Jesus when he was up on the cross? Notice the Bible says, Then they gave him, what does the Bible say? Wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Do you think Jesus was suffering physically? Do you think Jesus was suffering psychologically, emotionally, mentally? Yeah. Do you think Jesus was suffering spiritually? Yes, all of that on the cross, right? He's hurting, suffering, in pain. So at that time he was suffering and, he, and hurting, and he's facing his pain, what was offered to him? Was that they offered to him? Wine. So what was the purpose of offering him wine? What do you think? To what? To dull the senses or to medicate the pain. Are you following me? To numb his pain. To drown out his sorrows. You ever heard of that before? In other words, the pain was so excruciating. It was so hurtful. It was so painful was suffering so much. Jesus was suffering. In other words, and Satan came with this stick and this pole, and on the end of the pole was wine, and it was given to Jesus, and the purpose of that wine was to medicate his pain so that he wouldn't feel the pain and the suffering that he was feeling at that time. The false arrest, the flogging, the crown of thorns, the falling of Jesus upon the weight of the sins of the cross, brought a great amount of pain, and he was tempted to run from his pain. But he said, instead of listening to Peter, he said, no, get me thee behind me, Satan, I'm going to face my pain. But when he decided to face his pain, another temptation came. 
And this temptation was to medicate his pain, to take it away, to take the sorrows away. And today, many people medicate or drown out their pain through many different avenues that are offered today. They drown out their pain of physical and emotional abuse through alcohol. They medicate the pain of living in a critical home through entertainment or gaming. They drown out the pain of divorce through smoking. They medicate the pain of having been sexually abused as a child through having many different relationships. They medicate the pain of living in a home where they're put down by their husbands or put down by their wives through eating food, socially acceptable medications. It's so much easier to put down the Christian in a church who's drinking alcohol and who's smoking and doing drugs to numb their pain, their emotional pain. But yet, we don't want to talk about the issues of people who are using food to medicate their pain. People using maybe TV to medicate the pain, the hurt. People using even religion to medicate their pain. Being super busy. People using their careers to medicate their pain. Because after all, if I'm going to work, you know, everyone's praising me because I'm doing such a good work and it feeds my ego, it feeds myself because I'm hurting so much. But when I go home, I'm going to hear it from my husband or my wife or my children where I'm not that important. They don't praise me like they do at work. We use different things to medicate our pain. And Jesus was tempted to medicate his pain. But beloved, when we are offered by Satan the wine of medicating our sorrows, we must follow the example of Jesus and reject the medication so that we can fully give our sorrows to Jesus and thus be healed. You believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? You see, in the Western culture, we avoid problems at all costs. We attempt to get out of them rather than suffer through them. You know, we, we love modern conveniences because we like to be comfortable, right? We like everything nice, you know, it's been... Actually, this is a pretty hot summer for me. In Hawaii, I'm not used to this kind of heat. No, you yeah. You guys not either, huh? I mean, this is, whew, this is pretty, pretty warm for me out here. And this had to be this weekend too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the weekend I came up. So, I mean, this is, you know, they say Hawaii is hot, but at least we have a nice ocean and white sand beach to jump in right next door, you know, if it's kind of too warm. And can you imagine how pioneers did it without air conditioning? <laughs> we had a property we just recently sold, a five acres in Hawaii. And man, we live off the grid, you know, this kind of preparing and everything. And just had, you know, solar electricity, battery bank, you know, so um, generator. And, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to go through that. To be honest, when we first decided to do that, it was about... 11 years ago, my wife was, I'm sure they were scared, but I was scared because I never lived off the grid. But I didn't want to tell her I was scared. Because, because, so it took me like almost six months to a year before I felt comfortable living off the grid. Because I, did, I wired all everything myself and it, you know, the, the panels, solar panels and the battery bank and the generator. All I knew before was plug in and plug into the outlet. That's all I knew. And so to relearn and do all these things is just unbelievable. It was almost like a, a sense of suffering for me. <laughs> Some of you probably do that. I, you, I mean, more power to you if you know how to do that. But we lived there for 10 years, so now I feel comfortable doing that. But we have modern conveniences today. Everything is geared to make things more comfortable so we won't face our pain. And so when the temptation comes to run away from our pain and to hide it, to suppress it, to pretend that it's not there, that's when we need to decide to choose to face the pain. And not only that, but when the temptation comes to medicate your pain, when, you know, when the temptation comes to use some type of, of substance, I know you have some substance abuse to medicate your pain, yes, but I call it behavior narcotics, or certain things that we use in our behavior of being busy to medicate our pain, of doing certain things, of being involved, super involved in our church or in our workplace or community activities, whatever it is, Satan uses whatever he can to get us to medicate our pain. And because it's such a good cause, he can so deceive us into believing that we're not using or abusing this thing 
to our own detriment. And God wants us to show us that there is a better way. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? There's a woman who was sexually abused and she became a Christian and she said this. She shared how she medicated her pain. And I'm going to read to you her quotation. She said this. I survived my past in Christian ways. Doing ministry for God. Sharing my testimony. Attending workshops and conferences. SWIC. And running to church meetings. It was too scary to face my grief and sadness. So I ran with all my might. You think this could be possible tonight? You're not realizing that these are not isolated incidents. This is a reality. And this is a huge reality, I believe, in our church. And you know how I know that to be a fact that we need emotional healing? You know how I know that? Because it comes from this pen of inspiration, Ellen White. And you know what she said? And I'm, you know, I'm a graduate of Weimar, my wife's a graduate of uh, Meat Ministry, so I'm totally into the physical health message. But there's a quotation that really shook me, and this is the quotation, what it says. Nine-tenths of illnesses begins, has its foundation in the what? Mind. And I thought to myself, we spend so much energy and effort on the physical medical missionary message, do we not, right? I did myself. We spend so much time on the physical medical missionary message, which is good. And I thought about it, you know, we even got it reversed. And I thought about, we don't even got it reversed. It's not like we even spend 90% on the physical health message and 10% on the mind. I was talking about the mind. It's talking about the negative emotions that happen in our mind, such as sadness, such as grief, such as bitterness, such as anger, such as unforgiveness, such as depression, such as anxiety, right? All these illnesses, 90% of our illness that we cancer we're getting, 9% of heart disease, all these different diseases that we're experiencing in our physical body, 90% of it begins from the negative emotions that have this foundation in the mind, Ellen White says. And I thought about that and think, wait a minute, I'm talking about myself. I'm not even talking about even 10%. If I reverse it and did 90% physical health message, I'm not even doing 10%. And I realized, wait a minute, we're missing something here. And I thought about, it's almost like we're so involved in apologetics and defense of our truth and we've gotten down the Sabbath proof text so down, so good for over the 100 years and I can see how we need to defend ourselves against the attacks of the enemy and all out there against what we believe. And, but I believe we got it down so good in the proof text, in the intellectual sense, in the cerebral realm of our understanding of knowledge, up here. But yet we failed to miss the practical applications of the heart, and especially dealing with the, the negative emotions of the heart in our own lives. And I can tell you from experience over and over everywhere I go, and I have the same thing story everywhere. And that, what I'm hearing is that I've never heard any message about this before. The emotional healing aspect of the health message. That is our health message. What do you say? Amen? If 90% begins in the mind, this is our health message. This is the message that God wanted His people to have. If we do believe in the spirit of prophecy. And I felt I've missed all those years. And God somehow showed to me that I needed healing in my own life. Because what I'm sharing to you is not just what I'm sharing. What I'm sharing to you is really my own testimony. I needed healing as a pastor. And when God had worked in my life and God had healed me, then God began to do great things in my life and those around me and my family's own life to experience healing. Turn me to Genesis chapter 32, verse 26. Genesis chapter 32 Verse 26. This is a story of Jacob. We need to embrace our pain. I think about it as I was on a ladder one day and I was up there and I was fixing something in my tarp and I 
actually slipped and I fell down and I hit my, my shin on this, on the sharp edge of this concrete uh, block. And this kind of hit my bone and bruised it bad and cut it. And you know, I, I guess growing up, I never cleaned my cuts in Hawaii. I just, that's just how it was. And so I just didn't clean it. And so I just kind of like, okay, just let it go until that night I took a shower. And then after a while, it began to become tender and sore. I thought it was my bone, it was bruised. But I noticed it, become, it started to become more red. And that something's wrong. So I had to go to the doctor. Finally, I went to him and already the scab was over it. And he said, yep, you have an infection. Like, oh, I have an infection. I mean, I didn't want to go. I just kind of wanted to let it go. But I thought I'd just go and have infection. So I said, I need to go in and I need to clean it out. So he got this kind of like this scouring pad thing and he got it wet and he started scraping it. <laughs> and scraping off the scab. Because he had to get under it because it was infected underneath. And he had to scrub it and scrub it and it was, it was sore and scrubbing. And finally got all the scab off. It was bleeding a little bit and he had to put, then he put the medication on top. I, you just look, your faces look like you're feeling it. I can see your faces. Like, only like you're hurting more than I did. <laughs> so you can feel the pain, right? That's how it was. That's how healing works. There's parallels in the physical realm with the emotional realm. Many of us stifle or suppress our emotions, our negative emotions in our lives and the bad things that happen and we, under our skin, infect it. We let it go, and we just kind of let it go. But sooner or later, it's going to come up worse. So the best thing to do is to face your pain now, and it may hurt, and it will hurt, but in the long run, if you do it correctly, it will heal just like my shin healed. you believe that, let me say amen. Amen? So we're going to go to the story of Jacob. Now notice this is a story of healing. Genesis chapter 32, verse 26. Notice the Bible says here, Jacob is wrestling, right? Who's Jacob going to face? Esau, right? So the Bible says in 26, and he said, let me go. He's wrestling, right? And who's he wrestling with? Do you guys know? The angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, right? We know. So let me go for the day breaks. Right? Okay, Jesus is saying, let me go for the day breaks. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you what? Bless me. So I'm not going to let you go unless you actually bless me, Lord. Please bless me, was his cry. Now, why was he doing this? Do you remember the story? What was happening now? What was Esau doing? He's coming at him with what? All his men, right, of war are going to come in. What do you think he's going to do? kill him because why for the things he had done to hurt his dad to hurt his brother to hurt his mom to hurt his whole family in other words he had wounded and hurt and abused his whole family and now it was payback time he was going to get his just due according to esau and so when he saw his brother coming out with a band of men, he got afraid and he started wrestling and pleading with God. And Jesus came down and he was wrestling and said, I won't let you go until you bless me. Now he had to face his past. His brother was coming against him. And look at what happened in verse 27. What happened next? The Bible says, so he said to him, what is your name? So Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said what? Jacob. Now, what does Jacob mean? Supplanter or what? Deceiver, right? So what do you think Jesus is trying to do with Jacob at this time? What do you think he's trying to do? Helping him to what? To remember what? What he did in his past. Because all these years he suppressed it. He didn't want to deal with it. He ignored it. He pushed it down. He didn't deal with the past broken relationship with his brother, his sisters, his mom, his dad. He ignored it and ran away from home. He didn't want to deal it. He just wanted to run away, medicate his pain, not face his pain, and run away from it. And finally, many, many years, 
Jesus came to him and asked him, what is your name? Yes, I'm a deceiver. He wanted Jacob to tell him the truth, that he did deceive his brother. He did deceive and hurt his dad. He did break up the family. He did do all these things. And then what happened next in the Bible? And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. In other words, when he had faced his past and he had healed from his past, God gave him a new name. What do you say? Amen? And that new name was Israel. In other words, he had been healed from his past and God had given him a, a new name. And whenever we face our past, God's going to give us a new name. What do you say? Amen? You know what a name represents in the Bible? A name represents what? Character. When you heal from your past wounds, God's going to give you and restore you back, your character, back into the image of God. I want that. How about you? Amen? And he had to face his past to be restored and have the name, his character, God's glory, the character of Christ within him began to be perfectly reproduced. And that's what he wanted. What happened next? Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he, and he blessed him there. 30 says, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So in other words, it was after he had experienced healing, and after he experienced a new character, right? That is when he saw God face to face. What do you say, amen? In other words, that is where the intimacy with God began, is when he had healed from his past brokenness and his wounds and the deception and the hurting of his family. That family restoration was healed. Then he was able to have an intimacy with God of seeing God face to face. And that's what we need today. I want that. How about you? What do you say, huh? Amen? That's when he saw God face to face. And then it says here, 32, Therefore to this day the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. In other words, to this day it was a remembrance. So even in his leg, in his socket, you know, every time he walked, he walked with a limp. Jacob, he walked with a limp. And every time the Bible says that they saw him with that, his, his bones out of socket, every time they saw him walking with that limp, it was a reminder, a remembrance that God had healed him in that place. What do you say? Amen? In other words, all of us have been wounded. All of us have been hurt. And God's going to do is that he's going to take the wounds and the hurt that you and I have experienced, right? And he's going to take that. And like the Bible says that God's going to use it to comfort others with the same comfort you have what? Received of God. And in other words, people are going to see the wounds. I'm telling you that wounds that you hurt, maybe you've been scarred in your life. Maybe you've been sexually abused as a child. God's going to take the same wounds of having been sexually abused and he's going to take that wound. That, and I tell people, look, you can reach people I can never reach. You can help people I could never help. Because God's going to take your specific circumstances and to take that wound that you have and He's going to go out there and help other people who have experienced the same wounds that you have that only you can reach. And God has a ministry and a calling for you that no one else can fulfill. And He's looking for you to fulfill it. And you believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? And He wants you. And He wants you to go out and He wants you to help others because there are many people who are hurting out there. And when we get... I believe the true right hand of the, the health message and we go out and meet people and meet them whether they're at a mingle with sinners as one who desire the good and meet their needs. When we finally truly meet their needs in every which way, physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, when we meet their needs, they're going to be so open to us. I can guarantee you it. Because they see that you've experienced healing for yourself. But here's the thing, you cannot fake it. You can fake knowing the intellectual knowledge of the doctrines. You can fake that. You can tell people what they need to intellectually understand and ascend to in order to get baptized. You can fake, you can fake that. You can fake telling them everything you know about God and the prophecies and everything. You can, you can fake that. But you cannot fake a true personal experience of healing in your life. You believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? You cannot fake that. 
And when we see that power of God in our churches, there's going to be a mighty revival, I believe. What would God do in darkness? Isaiah 45, verse 3 in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 3 in your Bibles. What would God give to us in darkness? Isaiah 45, verse 3. The Bible says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. I will give you the treasures of darkness. In other words, it is in darkness where treasures are found. Not in the light. In other words, it's the darkness that you have experienced in your life that God will bring into your life, that allow it to come into your life, that you will find the greatest treasures. I can guarantee it. I grew up in a home that was abusive. And I shared that testimony. I grew up in a home where my dad was an alcoholic. I'm going to share that tomorrow morning, my testimony, a little bit tomorrow morning. And so uh, I shared a little bit of it with my church home where I went to visit. And I called, made an altar call for healing, and I did a call for anointing of oil and praying for them, as James chapter 5 talks about, right, in the Bible. It talks about um, praying for them, those who are sick, right, physical healing. But then it says here, and those who have committed sins, let it be forgiven them what is that talking about physical healing or spiritual yeah emotional healing so that's what it's talking about so when I, when he, when I realized that as a pastor I started to realize that wait people not only need the physical healing but they need to realize that the guilt of holding on to these sins that they feel they're not forgiven from these need to be released the grief and the pain and the shame that they cause their own family or their their wife or their children or the parents, these need to be healed. The bitterness that they held toward their dad since they was only seven years old, this needs to be restored. All these things need to be dealt with because these are the issues of life and this is real life. It's not just kind of this, this study, this, you know, I'm hurting, I'm going to a divorce and hey man, this is studied at 2300 days. I mean, it's not just an impractical application, but it's a real life situation and let's deal with the real issues of life and as you deal with the real issues of life, then God will lead us to understand more of His character through His doctrines and His prophecy. So I share that and I made an appeal. My mom came forward for the altar call for healing and prayer. And I praise God for that. And what I did, I posted how on Facebook on about healing and what happened in my home church and people came forward for healing and anointing and I had to ask the elders to help me to come forward because there are too many people for me to do anointment with oil that, that afternoon and so I posted that and my cousin on Facebook which has no Christian background probably never heard of a Seventh-day Adventist she messaged me and she sent me a message on Facebook. We started to go back and forth and talking about emotional healing. And I had no idea that my cousin had gone through all, everything that she had gone through. She lived in San Francisco at that time. And I'm going to read to you what she wrote to me. And after we started going back and forth, and I was helping her have devotions through Facebook, going back and forth, just from experiencing the emotional healing. She started to read um, Ellen White's Steps to Christ every morning for her devotions. This is what she said. We too lived in an abusive home. My mother beat us on a regular basis, mentally and verbally abused us, and was a heavy drinker. By the way, you know that rhyme that says, sticks and stones will break my bones, but what? Words were what? Never hurt me. You know that's the biggest rhyming lie that's ever existed? 
Give me the broken bones. Yeah? Give me the physical pain. But take away that emotional pain that I live with. Until today, she denies ever doing anything. I even went to therapy for it. I still suffer from extreme anxiety, mainly due to insecurities because I am never good enough for her. But I know I am good enough for me and my family. I promised myself not to be an abuser, but I broke that pattern the day I had my first child and my abuse still continued. You know the Bible says the sins are passed down to the third and fourth generations. Now you think that I'll never be like my mom, right? <laughs> I'll never be like my dad. You know it's going to be passed down. You're going to be just like your mom and your dad. Unless you experience healing, you'll be just like that. And healing with specific errors of our lives. You know, we often talk about justification, right? Where God heals us and saves us. You know, praise God for His justification and His power. What do you say? Amen? But what if it happened to sanctification? A work of a lifetime. What if it happened to like, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way within me. In other words, this work of a lifetime. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes into your dark heart and opens one room and it, you, somehow the light is revealed in that room and reveals to you and me that there's something that needs to be addressed and healed in my life because somehow the relationships I'm having with people is affecting everyone around me. And that is a proof, that is a sentence showing that something is still in your life that has not been healed. And the Holy Spirit comes into your life and it opens that door and it reveals to you that there's something there that you're not healed from. You've been hurt in your past. And you're not healed from that. And you're not trusting, is hurting your current relationships on people who have never hurt you, but because your past are being hurt, you're putting up barriers against trusting and loving them. Something is hindering the relationships of today. And something is hurting the people. I believe in God's remnant church today. I believe it is our health message that we have not followed truly. The health message of the mind. The emotional healing that God longs for His people to have. And when we experience that healing, God's going to do a powerful work within our life. She broke that pattern. I cannot help but relate to your mom as my own happiness is still in the cocoon stage and preventing me from becoming the best I can become, which I know hinders my ability to become the best mom. Then she said, For many years, I considered myself a Satanist. She's a Satanist. <laughs> my cousin was a Satanist. And now she's reading Steps of Christ every morning. All because he saw a post on Facebook about healing. That's all it was. That's all it was. Living a carnal life. Seeking to live my life for me without hurting others. I felt God had turned his back on me because of the abuse of others. But it was not him who had turned his back. It was me. I felt unworthy of love. For a long time, life seemed good. But then I could no longer find joy and happiness within even though I have forgiven my abusers, peace is hard to find and resentment still remains. I know it's because Satan has kept me captive all of these years and I too hid from God, ashamed. I know that God can renew my spirit and heart and bring peace into my heart for God will never abandon his children. I turned my back on him because I felt like I wasn't good enough for him. But now I know that if I accept him back into my heart, all my transgressions will be forgiven. And I will be at peace. See, beloved, in order to heal, we must first face our pain and not run from it. We must embrace the suffering and not ignore it. We must embrace the sorrow so we can give it to a loving God who will heal us. It's so easy. It's so easy to use religion as a mask. So easy. And I know that because I did it. I remember a time where so busy doing ministry, running two old-fashioned evangelistic tent meetings, the real tent meetings, putting pitching a tent. Two, in my two, I had two churches at a time, two evangelistic tent meetings running at the very same time with, with Bible work teams in each church. Busy, so busy doing the Lord's work. 
and yet the relationships of those who I profess to love was hurting the most. This weekend is really my story. It's my story of using medications and to medicate the pains I've had in my life and my past. And using different things of, to medicate those pains. Using religion to medicate my pain. The hurts of my past. I see so much broken homes. And I'm not talking divorce. I'm talking about people who are still married or living in the same home. That's what I'm calling broken homes. I'm talking about parents and children and children no longer calling their parents. Talking about parents and children and parents don't want to change the way how they treat their children and hurting them. That's what I'm talking about in our Remnant Church today. And I believe that is what needs to change. And I believe that that's what we're going to see in God's last days. You believe that? Let me just say amen. Amen? God wants healing of the homes. God wants relationships of intimacy with each other and with Him. Once He heals you, He wants to use you. And let me tell you something. He is going to use you. I've seen it happen so many times. He's taken broken people who you thought no one could use. And I've seen them once they experience this emotional healing of their past lives and of their past sins. I've seen God take these people and I've seen God use them in ways that I could never imagine. And God's going to use you if you just believe. And all you need to do is believe. So I'll leave you with this question. Do you believe? This weekend, we believe. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit of prophecy. We thank you for testimony of these two witnesses of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that every word will be established. We pray, Lord, that we trust in your word and in you that you may do a mighty work here this weekend at Advent Hope among the attendees Pray that your Holy Spirit may convict and press hearts to open hearts to reveal to all of us, including myself, especially myself, our need to continue to heal in errors where we're not aware of, in errors we are aware of. And so, Lord, we surrender our lives. Take our hearts, Lord, for we cannot give in. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.